today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. But as elders, the responsibility that we have is to be an example to the flock. But then in verse 5, he comes back to the flock. He says, flock, you need to submit yourself to the elders. You need to submit yourself to the leadership of the church. And so often, particularly in our culture today, people don't submit themselves to the leadership of the church. What they do when there's a situation that arises that needs correction They just go out the back door and we never hear from them again because they can go down the street to another church. So there's no submission in their lives and they never learn that reality. The Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that this means that we are literally God's representatives on earth. Therefore, we are to shine the light of Jesus and live such holy lives as to reflect the Lord's love, goodness, and justice on earth. Practically, this means that church leadership should never underestimate their responsibility to the people in their care. Pastor David also points out that all of us should be accountable to each other so that Christ might be glorified. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, First Peter Intro, Pilgrims in Progress, Our Sanctification from the book of First Peter. list of things that we're to lay aside and elsewhere throughout the scripture you and I are called to lay aside that's an active action that you and I are called to do and that old idea of saying well Lord if you don't want this to be in my life we'll just take it away from me no gang we are called to lay it aside to reject those things to move on from those things lay aside all of those malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy, all this evil speaking. And then in, in verse 2, he says, but as newborn babies desire. And moms, you know about those babies. When they get hungry, they get hungry. Particularly a newborn baby, there's no saying, hey, wait just a minute, we'll be home in a little while. No, it's now. Man, wouldn't that be great if all of our attitude toward the things of Christ and toward the things of his word were that way? I just want to have it. I just want to be in it. Verse 4 says, come to him. Come to him as to a living stone. It's what we're to be doing. He says in verse 11, "I, I beg you as sojourners and as pilgrims to abstain from. And then he gives, again, this idea of staying from fleshly lust. They war against your soul. And we'll look at that more as we get into it. In verse 11, it is that abstain from. But in verse 13, he says, but submit yourself. So some things we lay down, some things we pull away from. There's other things that we desire. There's other things that we submit ourselves to. 
He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, he says that we need to be living with honor. We need to be living with love. There needs to be a righteous and a true fear in our lives toward Almighty God, a righteous and a holy fear. Not the fear that says, whoa, you know, he's going he's gonna to beat me. He's going he's gonna to strike me. But it's that fear that speaks of the awesomeness. If you've been with us for a while, you know that I've used that phrase, the awfulness of God. Full of awe. He is awful in that way. Full of awe. Majesty. He is a mighty and great. And in the words of uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, is he safe? Oh, no, he's not safe. But he is good. You see, we need to understand that. We need to grow in our understanding of that. He says in verse 18 that we need to be submissive. And it speaks here of, of, of servants being submissive to their masters. But then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, wives, likewise, be submissive. Verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, husbands, speaking of your wives, dwell with them with understanding. And it even speaks about husbands giving honor to our wives. Elsewhere, we're told that wives, you need to honor your husband. But here it says, husbands, you need to also honor your wives. Just as in this whole idea of submission, and Paul tells us in Ephesians that we're supposed to submit to one another. And even here in a little while, Peter's going to declare the same thing. So there is this joint idea of submission that's caring, that's understanding the needs of others around you. We do that as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we submit ourselves to one another. Why wouldn't we more do that as husbands and wives? We see the needs and the cares and the, current, the concerns of our wife or of our husbands, and so we submit ourselves. We walk humbly before each other with no one lording it over anyone. In verse 8, he speaks about be of one mind. He says have compassion. He speaks about loving as brothers. He tells us to be tender-hearted and how we need to be courteous. And all of those things, those are still excellent things to be involved within a husband and wife relationship as well as in brothers and sisters together. He says in verse 9, don't return evil for evil. Don't return reviling for reviling, but instead to bless Beloved, you and I, we need to be people who bless the people that come into our paths. We are representatives of the Most High God. We need to be able and willing to bless other people. He says in verse 15, to sanctify the Lord and be ready to give a defense, to give a defense for, again, the, the hope that's within us. Are you ready for that? Can you do that? Are you able to give that defense? Remember, that was one of the things that we spoke about at the very beginning of Jude, that you and I, all of us as believers, we need to be able to earnestly contend for the faith. And the only way that we can earnestly contend for the faith is if we know what the faith is. If we understand it. Be ready to give a defense. That's, that's active. That's an action part in your life as a believer. My life as a believer, not just because I'm a pastor, but even as a fellow believer. He goes on in verse 16, he says, you need to have a good conscience. 
And verse 17, you need to be willing to suffer for doing good. That's a pretty major thing when you think about it. You need to be willing to suffer for doing good because what's going to happen is the enemy is going to do everything that he can to, again, defeat you, to discourage you, to distract you from your walk in Christ, to, again, keep you from doing what you need to be doing, living how you need to be living. They're going to be bringing accusations against you. Let all of that fail and and fall because there's no accusation that they can bring against you. But you know one of the things that I've found, uh, sometimes the push even comes from the body of believers, doesn't it? You, you want to do the right thing. You want to do the good thing, the righteous thing. But sometimes, even within the body of believers, there are people who live their lives in compromise. And when you desire to do the right thing, a brother or sister who's living their life in compromise suddenly starts pushing back against what you desire to do in a righteous way. Why would they do that? I, I believe because of the conviction of righteousness when they're not doing righteousness. And that pushback is there. So you need to be willing to suffer for doing the right thing. And then in verse or chapter 4, in, in verse 1, he says you need to arm yourselves. Absolutely. I've got my 357. I've got my double out six. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's no, that's not what he's talking about here. I mean, I'm not against those things. If you got those things, that's fine. But that's not what he's speaking about here, okay? What he's speaking about here is arming yourselves with what? The same mind as Christ who suffered for us in the flesh. That's a heart and a mind of humility, ceasing from sin. All of these things that, again, would make us less and make him more. Down in verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, in essence, he says, be done with your old life. Look, you've spent enough time living that way before you came to Christ. You've spent enough time carousing and living that kind of, of lifestyle that, that's of the world. Now it's time to grow up and progress in your life. Put those things away. Verse 7, he says, be serious and be watchful in prayer. Uh, every one of us, every one of us, I think, could pray a little bit more, couldn't we? Every one of us could pray a little bit deeper, couldn't we? Every one of us need that. We need it not only as we pray and giving glory and honor for all that God is and continues to be, but also in just laying our hearts out before him. Be watchful, be serious in prayer. Verse 8, he says, we need to have fervent love, fervent love for one another. Love you, bro. Mm, then a little fist pump, and then you move on. Yeah. What is fervent love? It's that idea of literally being on fire in love. You know, just that that it overwhelms you because you're ready to lay out your life. You're ready to give your life for a brother or a sister. You're ready to put your time, your talents, your resources on the line because of your love and your concern for brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 9, I love this one. In verse 9, he says that we need to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. What does being hospitable mean? 
That means that we visit the hospital, uh, right? That's a, no, that's not what that means. That means that we live our lives open to the people that are before us. That we live our lives in a way that we're approachable. That we're not closed off. There's not a wall around us. It's not that, it means that we can walk into a room and instead of being so self-focused on our own desires and, and, and our own needs, suddenly we're looking out. We're looking beyond ourselves and we're willing to not only touch the lives of the people that are around us, but we're willing to be touched by the lives that are around us. I believe it was Dr. Ben Carson that spoke about the fact, you know how some people are? They, they get into an elevator that's crowded with people, and they act like there's absolutely nobody else in that elevator. Everybody just stands there and watches it floor by floor by floor by floor. You know what? We as believers, we ought to be that peculiar people that we're called to be. We ought to be that kind of people. Wouldn't that freak somebody out? You get in the elevator and you turn around and face the other way. That'd freak people out. But, but can you imagine just getting in and starting up a conversation with somebody instead of just believing, hopefully nobody is here and hopefully they don't see me here. How about when you go into a room? You and I as believers ought to be people that are looking at people being open before people. Because you know what? That then makes us approachable. And you and I have the answer. You and I have the answer that everybody needs. Because when that final, when that, that final test comes, they're going to need that answer that you have. And we need to be approachable enough that they're willing to speak to us and we're willing to speak to and into people's lives. That brings us to Verse 10, he says, we need to be willing to minister to one another. And the only way that we can minister to one another is to be open to one another. You see, I, I spoke about being in an elevator. I spoke about being in a, a room someplace. But what about when we come into church? How many of us come into church and we focus in and we drive down? That's my chair. Don't anybody sit in my chair. Okay, he's going to start preaching in a minute, I think so. But... But that idea of coming in and looking to see, wow, they look kind of down today. Let me, let me go and talk with them. Let me go and chat with them. You say nobody's really interacting too much in your life. You feel like you're kind of all alone, even at church. How about you turning the tables then and you being an outreach specialist, okay? But maybe you're hurting. Maybe what you need to do is just reach out. Because there might be somebody who's hesitant even to come to you because you seem so closed off to everyone. You seem unapproachable. We need to minister to one another. But we need to have those opportunities. Verse 11, again, I love this one. He says, we need to speak as an oracle of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. You and I are the very mouthpieces of Almighty God. Do you understand that? Because it's, it's not just me as a pastor up here, and we pray that the Lord would anoint the preaching and the teaching of his word. But the fact is, is if you as a believer are speaking to people, you need to understand that you are speaking the very oracles of God. 
You are a representative of Almighty God in people's lives. And for some people, that might be the only voice of God that they will ever hear. And that's what you speak to them. Minister with the ability that God gives you. Well, I don't have very much abilities. Well, that's okay. If you take that little ability and allow him to use it in your life, Allow him to, to take that little bit and you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm very bashful. I, okay, I can shake one hand. I'll be willing to, or whatever the ministry might be, just that little bit. Guess what happens in your life? Suddenly it's expanded a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. If you're faithful in the little things, he says he'll give you a responsibility and blessings in those bigger things. Again, in verse 15, he says, suffer, be willing to suffer as a doer of good rather than evil. Verse 19, commit your souls to God. He says, well, I already did that. I remember back uh, when I was, I was uh, like a junior in high school, and uh, I, I went to this big uh, uh, revival thing, and I gave my heart and life to Jesus. That's not what he's speaking about here. What he's speaking about is day by day, moment by moment of every day, committing yourselves wholly and completely to him. It's part of our progress. It's part of the process of our sanctification, God working in us, his desire in us, committing our souls to God. But then he gets very particular here in in chapter 5. He speaks to those who are elders, and I'll even speak to our elders that are here this morning. Elders, you need to be shepherding the flock, caring for the flock, nourishing the flock, laying your lives down for the flock. Serve as overseers and not by compulsion. Well, I guess I I need to do this because I guess I'm an elder and I need to go ahead and do that. No, that's not the idea. And let me tell you right now, for those of you who are elders within this fellowship, if that's your heart, do God a favor, do the fellowship a favor, and step away from the flock, okay? Just just say, I don't want to be an elder anymore because my heart's not there. You see, that's what he means. He says, not by compulsion, nor for dishonest gain, not by what you can get out of it. He says in verse 3, elders, you need to be an example. You need to be an example. The body of Christ looks at the leaders within the church. And one of the things you need to realize, and one of the things I, hopefully I've, I've, I've transmitted to you through the years, I'm nothing special. I've got a different calling than others have. Those that serve in the position of elders or leaders within this fellowship, they're nothing special. They go through the same situations, the same trials, the same temptations, everything that you do. There's a different calling. There's different responsibilities. But yet, at the same time, I know very well that in those positions of leadership, that our lives need to be lived as an example to the flock. And beloved, that is a heavy, heavy weight. The Lord lifts that up. The Lord keeps that. The Lord gives strength for it. But you need to understand that is an awesome responsibility. I remember the first time that someone referred to me as a man of God. I thought, uh, I don't know about that. 
I was still working in construction, and I was at a parts house, and one of the people there knew that I was not only a believer, but that I was a pastor, and one of the other guys I was talking to there that didn't know me very well, just another construction worker, and he was sitting there chatting, and his language started getting about as colorful as John Bunyan's used to be, okay? And then as he was going on, someone else who knew me came out and says, hey, watch your language. He's a man of God. I thought, oh, don't do that to me. (laughs) Number one, I didn't want them to suddenly lift me up beyond what I should be lifted up. Okay. But the other thing I had to think, wait a second. I am a man of God. You're a woman of God. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You're a man of God. You see, all of us, we are men and women of God. We are representatives of the Most High. But as elders, the responsibility that we have is to be an example to the flock. But then in verse 5, he comes back to the flock. He says, flock, you need to submit yourself to the elders. You need to submit yourself to the leadership of the church. And so often, particularly in our culture today, People don't submit themselves to the leadership of the church. What they do when there's a situation that arises that needs correction, they just go out the back door and we never hear from them again because they can go down the street to another church. So there's no submission in their lives and they never learn that reality. Then he says all of us being in submission to one another, all of us, Elders, leaderships, the pastors, all of us submitting to one another, clothed with humility. That's where he gets in verse 6, humble yourselves before God. In verse 7, cast your care upon him. Why? Because we know that he cares for us. Verse 8, we need to be sober. And again, that's that idea of of, of sober-minded, understanding and seeing and and calculating the consequences and understanding the issues that that surround us and being vigilant. In other words, keep progressing on. Keep the process alive in your life. And verse 9, resist the devil because that push is always, always there. Beloved, As I look through these verses and a multitude of others that we'll look at as we go through 1 Peter, I can't help but believe, man, this is a call to action. This is a call to action for you and I as believers to get off our duff and to get busy about the process of the Christian life in order that we might progress in the Christian life and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to challenge you to read the book of 1 Peter. It's only five chapters. For in, in my Bible, it's four pages. Uh, not even four pages, like three pages and two inches. It's not very, not very long to read. But you know what? As you read it and you read it again and you read it again and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, I believe that you yourselves will understand there's, there's great encouragement in the midst of this. But there's also great conviction. There's a great challenge in what's written here. But there's also a tremendous blessing. Beloved, we are called as believers to be pilgrims in process. 
That's what I want you to know. It's what I want you to grow in. It's what I want you to grasp in your lives. Though we've come to the end of our time with you today on The Open Word, you don't have to wait to hear more from Pastor David Landry. In fact, Pastor David's here to tell you more. Thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, and shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound biblical teachings with you anytime and anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast as well. As soon as we post a new message from The Open Word, you'll receive a notification. This way, you'll never miss an update. While you're on our website, you can learn more about what we believe as a ministry, as well as find out ways to support us. One way is through prayer, something we're always grateful for. We need to make sure we're focusing first on Jesus, then on what we're creating. We want every edition of The Open Word to come from the Savior, not from us. Your prayers for us help us do this. Would you also pray for the listeners of The Open Word? Pray that hearts and ears would be open to Jesus and that the gospel will continue to spread throughout the earth. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word.